Welcome to Away From The Keyboard. We give you a glimpse into the lives, interests, and tech behind today's technologists. Please join our hosts, Cecil Phillip and Richie Rump, as we get away from the keyboard. Welcome to Away From The Keyboard, where technologists tell their stories of how they started, how they grew, how they learned, and how they unwind. My name is Richie Rump, and with me I have my co-host, Cecil Phillip. Hey guys, and welcome to episode 5 of Away From The Keyboard. Richie, why don't you tell the people what you've been up to? Not much. I've been watching uh, some technical videos from a, a website that they don't sponsor us, so I will not give their name out on air. Ah, I see. What have you been watching on yeah. the what, you, what have you been watching on those uh, videos? Um, mainly functional programming. I've been uh, messing a bit with F Sharp, and um, it's been fairly interesting. I think I'm going to be jumping into probably another language other than F Sharp soon. I'm not. I haven't decided which one yet. Nice. It is a functional world today, man. Everybody's trying to learn a functional language. Yeah. Um, I'm really intrigued. I'm really intrigued on um, how we could, on what functional can do as far as my little niche of what I do as far as uh, data programming. And um, I was, a friend of mine really recommended that I should take a look at it. And so I'm taking a look at it. So what about you, man? What's going down? Well, over the weekend, I finally decided to go and see Avengers. And nice. um, I got to say, it was, you know, it was okay. It just was, okay? It was just okay. I, I thought it was fun. I thought it was, a, it was a fun popcorn movie. Definitely not good as the first one. No, definitely not as good as the first. Um, it, was, it was definitely, for me, one of the better movies that have come out for 2015 thus far. But, you know, it's, yeah, it was okay. You know, there was a lot of good character set up for the upcoming, you know, movies that are going to come up. But, you know, other than that, eh, it was okay. Yeah, which is which is really interesting. I, I, I feel the same way. I felt that it was the, the, the Avengers Age of Ultron was building up for Avengers 3, Avengers 4, and Captain America 3. Uh, that was kind of odd. Uh, you have this big summer movie, and yet we're trying to set up uh, Civil War. We're trying to set up Infinity War, right? We're trying to set up all these other movies as opposed to kind of really focusing on this particular one. Yeah. I mean, I can tell you what I was really excited about was after seeing Avengers, coming home and checking out Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. on Hulu. Yeah. Like, the way that that um, series actually ties into the show for me is is absolutely phenomenal. And because of that, too, to be honest with you, I'm a lot more interested in seeing the Inhumans movie whenever it comes out. Yeah, what's going to be really cool about Inhumans is that the characters that are going to be focused on the Inhu uh, in that Inhumans movie, we haven't been introduced to them at all. So we're just getting a little glimpse in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. of the Inhumans and who they are and what they could do. But we haven't seen the really powerful ones yet, which is kind of cool. Yeah, and we have time, right? Because I think Inhumans doesn't come out until 2018, 2019 or something like that. Yeah, so I think 2018 is, is when it was slated. So yeah, there's there's quite a bit of time um, before that. But those are uh, some very interesting characters. Um, definitely a different uh, spin on the Marvel Universe there. They're a part of the Marvel Universe, but they're not superhero-y, right? They've, they've, they've got their own uh, subplots, and they're very powerful and... Uh, have a floating city. I mean, who doesn't, right? Who doesn't want a floating city? I want a floating no, city. I, I need a floating city. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, you, you going back to Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., I thought Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. made a, a turn for the better after 
Captain America 2, the Winter Soldier, uh, last year. And when that happened and uh, the events of that movie, how it just shook the entire episode or the entire series, the entire show of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. was pretty amazing. I don't think I've ever seen something like that where an event in a movie affected a TV show and really flipped it on its head and made the whole thing spin 180. Yeah, they're definitely winning, you know, on the series and, and in the movies too. So again, hats off to Marvel and the, the Disney machine that's that's pumping behind that because, you know, they're, 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 they're heading out in a good direction. Yeah, what a great purchase that was. <laughs> I mean, they, they, you know, they buy Marvel, then they buy Star Wars, and it's like, okay, what other awesome stuff is left? I, I can't. I can't think of them. They've Disney owns it all. Yeah, if there's any other awesome thing that comes out, Disney's probably going to buy it. So, yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah. <laughs> so on that note, so Richie, why don't we uh, tell everyone who do we have on the show today? All right, today we have Nick Molnar and Mike Wood, who are both technologists with Redgate Software. So a little bit about Mike Wood. So Mike is a technical evangelist for Redgate Software on the Sarabata team. He describes himself as a. Hold on, wait for it. A problem-solving, outdoorsy, user group founding, dog-loving, blog-writing, solution-creating, event-planning, married, technology-speaking father of one kind of a guy. Nice. That was a mouthful. Yep, absolutely. When he's not living up to that title, he's an avid reader, horrible violinist, and also a gamer. Michael is a Microsoft MVP in Microsoft Azure, an Azure insider, and the editor for JustAzure.com. You can follow Mike on the Twitter under the handle at Mike Wu. That's at M-I-K-E-W-O. Woo! And Nick Molnar is a New Yorker, Microsoft MVP, ASP, and Azure Insider, and co-founder of Glimpse, an open source diagnostic and debugging tool. Originally from Homestead, Florida, Nick specializes in web development, web performance, web APIs, and community management. You thought I was going to say web something, didn't you? Yeah, no. I did. Yeah. He's a frequent speaker at international conferences and on technical podcasts. In his spare time, Nick can be found cooking up a storm in the kitchen, hanging with his wife, and working on other open source projects. Nick can be found online at nikcodes.com and on Twitter at nikmd23. This episode was recorded on February 7, 2015 at the South Florida Code Camp. Before we start a conversation, I want to apologize for the rough audio. We were disappointed when we first heard the recording because of the poor quality of the audio and that it was a great conversation. So we had two choices. We could have trashed the episode or we could have cleaned it up the best we could and give it to you. So we decided on the latter. Even though the audio quality isn't so great, we still think this is a fantastic conversation. So here's our conversation with Nick Molnar and Mike Wood. And now away from the keyboards feature conversation. Hey, Mike, what's your, uh, what's your Twitter handle? Uh, Mike Wu, M-I-K-E-W-O. Not, not Wu-Tang. Not, not, no, no, no. But that would have been better. Mike W-U-U. That's Mike Wu. Mike Wu. Oh, that's... I'm trying to think of an Asher Cream joke, but I can't. Asher Cream. <laughs> <laughs> is that still a thing? Uh, AWS hasn't uh, killed Asher yet? Oh, 
Dude, what do you still think? Look, man, his shirt says just Azure. The only clothes that he wears are just Azure. <laughs> Today. <laughs> it's just Azure until we do AWS, and it's not just Azure. If you're serious, you're probably not doing just Azure anyway. You're probably doing both anyway. <laughs> yeah, that's true. We're multiple providers. If you're serious. If most you're of serious. us aren't serious, obviously. Yeah. They're listening to this podcast, so you can't be serious. <laughs> you must not have a lot to do. No. To this. <laughs> no. So how's your show been? How's your conference been? It's been a great conference. My legs are exhausted, and my throat is hoarse, which is always a good sign for me until the end of the conference. Oh, no, that's a good sign for you all the time. Oh, yeah, I don't do those things. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what did you talk about today? Uh, I did two presentations today. The first was called Full Stack Web Performance, and the second was called Azure Website Secrets Exposed. And so the first one was all about web performance, soup to nuts, really quick overview of everything that you want to know to optimize the network server, JavaScript, CSS. And then the second one was deep internals of Azure websites and how they work and how to play around with what they do. Gotcha. What about, uh, what about you, Mike? What did you talk about? So I had two talks as well. Uh, one of them was a soft skills talk. So the title was Be a Better Developer. And it talked about a lot of different things uh, that you can do to maybe improve your craft, not necessarily at a coding level, um, but just people skills and organizational skills and things like that. Uh, and then the second one was more technical. It was on Azure Automation as a Service. Like, how did you find um, the reception from the, the crowd? Was, like, were, they, were they really interested? You got a lot of questions and a lot of feedback? Uh, yes. Uh, actually, in full sessions, I got some good questions. Um, and then the, the soft skills talk, I got a lot of good feedback after. A lot of people seem to appreciate that. Yeah, did you? And, and it's a, that's a talk that I really enjoy giving. So. Seems to be a, a big topic these days, and we should be more than just technical people. Well, I mean, a lot of, I find a lot of technical people are coming out of from being like the, the code monkey, right? Like, yeah. They come in, they're, they're starting businesses, like they're doing startups, like, they're doing, they're, you know, they're becoming businessmen and entrepreneurs, and I think it's very important that, you know, they understand the people skills, the, the business skills, what it takes to move forward. That, that's crazy that somebody would start their own business. Well, I mean, at some point in time, you want to start making your own money, right? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you know, you got to think about that too, right? Um, so what, what do you find is, like, some of the most important things for people to talk about, you know, or people to, to pay attention to when it comes to, you know, developing soft skills. Like, what soft skills are important for, for developers? Well, what I had done in the, in the presentation is to go through a couple of roles that I see people playing uh, as developers or in our craft, uh, having conversations with folks um, about being a good researcher, right? So um, learning how to go dive into a topic, find out exactly what you need, and then be able to get to the point quickly. Right, so that goes anywhere from making sure you're not thrashing and um, you know spending five and a half hours on something that ends up being a, a two-character mess up because you didn't take the time to ask a question or something. Right, um, and then also just going out and finding a mentor that, um, especially someone that you think will help you get to the next level in whatever it is you're interested in, and not just code. Right, if you if you're having an issue around just dealing with people at work, there's probably somebody you know that does a really good job of navigating political issues at work or uh, knows the climate better than you. Just start having a chat with them. Uh, 
things like that. But I think the big things that people are finding, um, or at least that I've talked to people about, is getting along with people at work. I was actually surprised at how many people have a hard time reading other people at work. Mm. Um, and then the other is just how do I keep up with technology, right? Because right. in our field, it's huge. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the hardest things that I have to do as a technologist is, wow, it seems like our our whole space just overturns every four years. I mean, everything that I'm doing now, I wasn't doing four years ago, which is really rough to keep going and, yeah. and try to be on that leading edge every dang day. And there's just no, there's no downtime. It's, it's always there. It's constant. It's in your face. There's always something that's going to be deprecated that I'm doing right now in the next few months. Yeah. It's also one of those things too that you, you know, you, you can't know everything, right? You can't know everything. You, you shouldn't try to know everything. Um, and you know, kind of like in one of our previous recordings with, with um, John Summers, he spoke about specializing. You know, focusing on you know your area and knowing it well, knowing how the ins and outs of it, knowing how it works, and um, and that's your thing, right? You might understand how other things work, but maybe you don't know the details. Maybe you don't, you don't know the internals of it, but you know, maybe you can have a conversation about it. But now, you know, that's like, like your area, for instance, is Azure. You know, if I want an Azure guy, I mean, I, I know what Azure is. I could spin up a VM. I could create a website. But maybe if I need some deeper technical knowledge about it, I know, okay, well, I need to go talk to Mike about it because he knows, you know, the intricacies of that environment and how that works. Yep. I'm a big fan of just being exposed to as many things as possible. So I listen to a ton of podcasts, you know, read articles and blogs and Twitter and stuff like that. But I'm not necessarily diving in. So I kind of feel like, the river of information is washing over me and stuff on right. my situation with a client and they say something about it. Yeah. I might not know the depth that I should to say, yes, I can solve your problem, but I know where to go to get started with that. And that gives me a big head start over a lot of people who are just yeah. cold and not watching the river pass by. Yeah. And especially something like Azure, which, you know, when it came out, it was, oh, there's these little things. That's no nice. You can do that in the cloud. But now it's just a massive thing where we have all these services all over the place, and I couldn't tell you what half of them do these days. And if we just, hey, what exactly do they do? I don't you know how to, how to implement them or any technical details, but hey, this mobile service of things may be exactly what you're looking for. And then we could actually do a little research on that. So yeah, that's exactly what you're trying to do. Well, that will fix this. And Azure is just one example in the Microsoft space. Right. Yeah. Think about Java, Ruby, and PHP. But then even within Microsoft, because Azure is like that, right? Nobody can know all of it. Nobody mm -hmm. can know all of SharePoint. Nobody can know all of .NET. Like, it just goes on and on and on. Right. SQL yeah. Server, like I know Richie, you've spent the last several years just basically focused on SQL Server, and clearly you're not an expert. Oh, <laughs> that's comforting. Thank, thank that you. Was, that was not an insult. I was <laughs> just stating a fact, you right? You have soft skills. That's you, it. You have yes. Well, you have a very soft skill around your waist. So. Oh. <laughs> how we <build> there? <laughs> I've hold, held on to that one for about five Where minutes. Is my. <laughs> but so 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 what's and this might be a very broad or hard question to answer, but how do how do I pick a specialty? You know, I mean, typical developer in South Florida, right? If you build everything, like most companies, you go in and. You're the BA, the tester, the deployment team, the developer, the you're everything, right? And you you own that product, you control it. Um, so when somebody asks you, well, what do you want to specialize in? You just say, well, I kind of just do everything, right? But like, like, how do you how do you narrow that down? Like, how do you pick a focus, and how do you choose like 
you know, like what are some of the interesting areas that might be beneficial for me in my career going forward to focus on? I have a story around that. When I left Florida and moved to New York and was working at a consultancy, that consultancy was one of the few partners of Microsoft Surface. Not the tablets that we call Surface now, the big tables that you can The call real Surface. Surface. The real Surface. And I thought to myself, that is the coolest thing ever. I want to work on that. And it was hard to get access to the one that was in the office, right? Because people were building real apps on them. So I would go in on nights and weekends so I could fiddle around with it. And I ended up building this little blackjack game that would teach people how to play blackjack, right? And I was like, yes, I know all of these cool things because I know the Surface. But I kept on finding myself thinking about the web. That's what I liked. That's where my passion was. And so I, I gave up surface development, and I made a very conscious decision to say, you know what, it's okay that I, I don't know all the ins and outs of this anymore. I dabbled with it, but I'm going to make a conscious decision to follow my passion. And then I thought to myself, well, I already, this was naive, I already know everything about the web. But but it was my passion, and then I, I sat down, and I literally strategically said, well, what else could I know? And I wrote down, what are the holes in my knowledge of the web? And at that time, I said, you know, I don't really understand how the bits move from A to B. So I spent a lot more time moving down the network stack, right? You can move down and down layers of technology in your specific uh, focus area for a long time, right? And back up and, right. you know. So... You can specialize in something and stay there for a very, very long time if you go deep and you go through the layers of abstraction. Yeah, I, I would definitely say, actually, right after the, my presentation today, I had somebody come up, because uh, one of the things I talk about is go deep, right? Pick something that you're really interested in and go deep, and then take a step back from that and look at the, the ancillary technologies that are around it and be knowledgeable about those. Uh, and he asked that exact question, you know, what, what should I go deep on? It's like, well, that's very hard for me to answer for you. Right. Uh, what do you What do you like doing? And that really boils down to what What did you enjoy doing? Yeah, and I think those are even questions that developers don't even ask themselves. Because I I'm doing this because I'm getting a paycheck. I kind of like it, but I can't even tell you what exactly I like about development. Right. There's there's we're, we're so busy doing doing doing. There's hardly any introspection about what we're doing and how we enjoy it. And you know, so the way I look at that is. You know, so there's different types of developers, right? Um, from the perspective of there's a developer that, you know, I go to work and I get my check and it's 5 o'clock and the computer comes off and I go home and I don't really care to look at another computer again for the rest of the day. 501 developer. Right. And then there's a developer that, you know, um, I'm kind of interested. I want to play around with some stuff. I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to look at. But, you know, I need some guidance. I need some help. I need somebody to show me. You know, I've never been to a user group. I've never been to a conference. Like I don't know these people or how to find them, um, or who to ask to find them. And then I've had a couple of people say that to me a couple of times. And then you have the developers that's all gun ho and they want to learn everything. Right? And certain people even um, <laughs> and, coming know, to a podcast near you. <laughs> coming to a podcast near you. And you know, I'm 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 you know I'm digging into web stack. I'm digging into performance. You know, I'm looking at um, event processing and QCQRS and all this types of stuff. Um, and yeah, again, when work is over, like I have so much stuff to play with, like I don't know which one to pick. Yeah, you know. And so I think depending on the type of person you are, like where you find your passion. I mean, sometimes some people just need a little bit of help, right? Like sometimes, sometimes people don't care. Um, you know, and sometimes it's just a matter of finding whatever is that good balance for you. Like what, what's a good thing for me? And what's interesting for me? Like what can I see myself doing for 
the next three or four years. Maybe I want to be a mobile developer. Maybe I want to build on Xamarin. Yeah. You know, maybe I want to build services. Maybe I want to, maybe, hey, maybe I want to build Java apps, right? You know, whatever the case is, right? Um, but you're right, like, it's a hard question to answer. Um, it, it's really person dependent. It's just, you know, it's, I think some of that is environmental too, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. What, what can I get paid at too? I mean, I may have this huge passion for a piece of technology, but nobody is hiring for it and I can't get a job for it. Sure. Sure. Um, you know, like we had a, a gentleman we were speaking to earlier today and he was talking about SharePoint, right? You know, he loves SharePoint, he likes it, you know, he, he works on it. But, you know, in this environment, there's really not a lot of opportunity for that type of work. He just, he can't find those people, he doesn't see them. You know, in comparison to some of the other types of jobs that are available, like those are just not there. Um, so now what's the point? Like, do I continue? Do I say, hey, I still really love this, but like, I, it's, it's not getting me where I need to be. Right. Well, and there was also a gentleman, luckily enough, that was standing right next to us. Uh, when I was asked, you know, what am I going to do, right? What what should I be focusing on? And what was really good <laughs> was this gentleman, he was obviously an older gentleman. He'd been around in the industry for quite some time. And, you know, he, he made the point, look, whatever you're interested in now, you're not going to be doing it in four years. Right. Right. I mean, as, you've, as we've already said, yep. everything changes very quickly. So don't get, you know, wrapped up in it. And like, this is the only thing I ever need to do. And this is awesome. Um, cause even if you're working on something and you're stuck and you're not, at, you're not quite happy with what it's doing, it's gonna change. Yeah. So, uh, taking the time to look at what is this technology and to your point, Richie, of, is this something I can get paid at? Is this something I'm gonna be paid at for the next three or four years while I learn something new or while right. I keep working on this? Right. I don't think specialist means one thing. True. I think it's very, common and easy to specialize in several limited number of things. So you might specialize in something during your day job, and that's how you bring home the bacon. But your passion, maybe you shouldn't get paid for your passion. Every passion job I've had that turned into something that I get paid for, at some point, when you get paid, it becomes work, and it's very easy to lose your passion when it's just about getting paid. Yeah, possibly. Right. I mean, that's a danger, right? It, it certainly is. But my point is, you don't have to put all your eggs in one basket. Right, you can work on something in the evenings that is fun for you and and feeds your creative process and is that outlet and releases that scratches that itch for you. So, and then also be very passionate about what you're doing during the day and make money doing it. Right. So so that was that glimpse for you. Have you lost the passion? Yeah. For so glimpse? yeah, glimpse is a great idea of that. And I I got extremely lucky because my passion project became my work project and I get paid for it. Yeah. But I'm not gonna lie. There's lots of days when I sit down and I'm like, ugh. Glimpse again, and just the passion's <laughs> not there, right? And I, I, I literally need to come to conferences like this. I need to talk to people like you guys. And yeah. Like, Ooh, you know, when somebody comes up to me and tells me a story about how Glimpse saved them five hours last week, yeah. Then I'm like, oh, I'm gonna go home and work on Glimpse, yeah. and I'm excited again. But if I didn't have that, the plane would have died. Yeah. I mean, the same thing when when I put out Six Six Parser. I know there's maybe a few thousand people in the world that even will use it once. Right. It's a very specialized type thing. But I get people coming up to me at conferences. I never met them. Don't know they were there. Like, dude, I used this thing once and it was awesome. You know, and it, and I got all this information from it and it, and I use it now all the time. And I'm like, oh, well, then maybe I should go update it. You know, and I show you a little tweak to it. So the, 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 the most interesting, I was at the past summit and they had like a speaker idol type thing. So, um, I'm sitting there because a buddy of mine's, um, in this finals. And so the guy comes out there and, 
and he does his presentation. He does his like this top seven uh, SQL Server tools. He doesn't, you know, that are free. He doesn't in five minutes. He's boom, boom, boom. He's knocking them out. The last, he, the last one he goes to SQLServer.com, and I'm like, oh what? And he didn't know who I was. He didn't know I was sitting in the room. But he didn't give me any attribution on it. He said, buy this, buy this for everyone else but me. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> but it was cool because he didn't know who I was. He never heard of it. I, he must have read some blog or something about it. And he thought it was so cool that he put it into his presentation. But that also means that he wasn't doing it to stroke your ego. That's right. Brown nose to you, right? Like the yeah. value of the tool was there for him. Yeah. You know, I listen to another podcast. And uh, a lot of times people come in and ask questions like, well, what do I do next? Like, do I focus on this technology or that technology and strategic? Which one's going to be better for my career? And their advice, they actually have it um, as an audio clip that they just played back because they answered us so many times. It's about web. So theirs is just build websites. Yeah. Just build something, right? So in this context, whatever that is, just go and build it. Like, you might not get AOI, like what you're getting. That's an attention on investment. Oh, right? snazzy. Yeah. Look get, at that. You might not get the AOI, but you're going to bump into a problem that you're going to have to solve, and you're going to learn something. It can be simple and small. Like, I built this dumb little website that lists all the mascots of minor league baseball. Just because. That was a cool thing to build, right? And now I use it in all of my demos. But build something. Finish it. Well, even the idea of doing something to feed your creative process, it doesn't have to be technical. Right? No. It doesn't have to be code. Um, just having a hobby, right? And something that was going to take your mind, shift it out of what you normally do on a day-to-day basis at work, and allow you to focus differently. Yeah, Rich, Richie made fun of my soft waistline. Well, that's because I happen to cook a lot, very scientifically. And, you know, it feeds it feeds my mouth, and it also feeds the same creative <laughs> spirit that I feed when I'm on a program. So that was, I mean, that was one of the, that's a great segue. It's a great transition. I'm going to write that down, how you do that transition. So that was good. Because I, I, I know how big of a foodie you are, right? But you're going to write down that he's soft in the middle and that's <laughs> yes. transition? Yes, he's very... <laughs> like a good poached egg. He's soft in the middle. <laughs> I was thinking like a marshmallow cream, you know, type, you know, you know, like a pinwheel type thing. <laughs> Already, man. Already. You take the boy out of homestead. <laughs> that's not it. <laughs> that's about it. You can just take him out. Oh, yeah, that's all. So uh, what are what are type of things that, that you've learned in your journey, just learning about food and how it's cooked and some of the science behind it. How do, how do you get started doing that stuff? I mean, that's... I got started at a very early age. So I was homeschooled when I was a little kid. Oh, okay. And I did not know that. My my mom ran a daycare out of our home. So there was me, my brother, who were off in the corner doing our homework, and 10 other little rugrats running around that did not belong to my family that my mom would watch after. Right. And so there was a lot of, uh, this makes my mom sound bad, it wasn't this way at all, but there was a lot of fending for myself, right? I remember very vividly learning how to make scrambled eggs when I was six, seven, eight years old Mm -hmm. and making my own breakfast and making grilled cheese and uh, mac and cheese and other things that come with cheese when I was a kid. (laughs) Um, And so that that just kind of started as sustenance. It wasn't art form for me, right? just like programming, right? I can build a program to do a whole bunch of different things. I might throw together a script just to get a job done one time and not care about it. Or I might really care about the architecture and build something beautiful and transcending to all who look at it, right? And food is the same way. I can slop together some ramen, or I can go eat at a Thomas Keller restaurant and change my life, right? Or cold pizza, as it were. <laughs> or cold pizza, when that's all you have. 
so as I got older and into college, I remember Food Network became a thing. Yep. And so I would wake up on Saturday mornings and watch Food Network, mostly because there was nothing else going on, and I enjoyed watching it. But then I started playing around with things. And just following a recipe felt extremely boring to me. In my mind, it's like, I don't want to be a compiler. Compilers are dumb. <laughs> so I don't want to just do step-by-step step what I'm told to do and just spit out the output. So I, I very soon started making my own dishes. And once you start to do that, you have to learn what flavors go well together, what techniques go together. You learn about contrast right, and seasonality of food. And that's really interesting. Uh, so I kind of built up from there, you know, and then you you find out that you you cook a girl in college a meal and that goes pretty well. <laughs> next thing you know, you're about to celebrate your 10th wedding anniversary. <laughs> so what's funny about that? So we watch um, Master Chef Junior. Mm-hmm. Um, me and my family watch it, and I can't say how utterly embarrassed I feel after I watch that show because like these kids are talking about like the acidity of food and. What goes together, you know, creating all these dishes. I'm like, I don't even know what that is. Like, what do you? And we're talking about eight year olds, nine year olds. You know, we're talking about that. He's not even teenager yet. And I just feel ridiculously horrible when I look at my son and I think, like, you're gonna have to, you have to cook for daddy. Yeah. <laughs> listen, <laughs> listen, kid, you're gonna have to step it up. I, all I'm saying. That's great, but but even just watching that show, you know, just you know, cooking shows and MasterChef and food channel in general, I find. A lot of stuff to be very interesting, particularly when you wrap it in a package like that, you know, because because now it's approachable, you know. Like before, it was all these guys have gone to school for years and years and years and obviously done this, but now there's like an eight-year-old and he's cooking like this steak that I could like oh, I could never cook, and it's just like well, no offense to the, the child, but like if she could do it, obviously I can do it too. It must be something that you know I can go and I can find information on and I could. You know, go through the process, right? And, and maybe that, maybe that's, maybe that's my, maybe that's my hobby that, you know, um, that I grew up with, and something I can pass on to my family. Is, you know, they know what. Um, I know one big thing people want to talk about is that when your mom comes over, your dad comes over, and they cook all the soup for you, and it's so good, and, and it's like amazing. And I'm just thinking, you know, when my son goes to college, I don't know if he'll be able to say that because I really <laughs> But I want him to have that. I want him to have that experience. I want him to be like, hey, my parents are coming over, but there's going to be all these food and these breads and these dishes. Oh, oh you got to wait. You guys just got to you know, try it. Like, it's awesome. So I need to start, I need to start cooking. You, you know what? So I, I would encourage you to do that, but I would also offer you a little bit of slack. So I, this is funny. I just told my mom the story the other day. Uh, I, I texted her. Your mom's an amazing cook, by the way. My mom is an amazing cook. Funnily enough, when I was a kid, she was not an amazing cook. Really? She got into cooking after I left for college. <laughs> so I've never lived at home when my mom's an amazing cook. See, now that I ha- they have all the free time of having to raise you, which is a full-time job. Oh, yeah. They, they, they cook well. That's anyway, right. So I texted my mom the story. I said, hey, mom, do you remember when we were a kid, when I was a kid, and we would go out to Color Ridge with the teacher supply store, yep. and afterwards, he would take me to get Jamaican beef patties. And her response was... I know exactly where that oh, is. Oh. I know exactly where that is. The five-star Jamaican beef patty place. I haven't been there in 20 years. It's not, I don't think it's there anymore. So I my, wish it was. My mom's response to me was, yuck, those things were horrible. <laughs> but in my mind, the memory is so vivid and so awesome that I've actually sought out Jamaican beef patties in New York City just to rehab that memory. And I realized when she said, yup, those are horrible, the memory wasn't about the food that we shared. It was about that we were sharing it together. Mm-hmm. 
right? And so whether you can cook like an eight-year-old or not, <laughs> right, the fact that you're there trying to cook with your kid and putting something in the oven and talking about the science behind you know, my art reaction and how that meat is caramelizing, all of these things, that will be remembered way longer. And you know, food is also how culture is passed down. That's why a lot of people remember their, their right. families. I, I know growing up in Miami, I learned from a lot of uh, my aunts and cousins and girlfriends and stuff like that, all about the Hispanic culture and Cuban cuisine. So that was, and I love that culture, but I'm as white as they get, you know? Like, but yep. I, I, I feel like that's my family. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, your mom's wrong. Those patties were amazing. <laughs> I mean, I, I could, right now, I just you could use a hot one. Just the, the spiciest they get. Well, the, well, the, one, the one person we had listening to this podcast just turned it off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that was your mom, by the way. My mom. <laughs> I am not wrong. Dang. But this kind of loops back into the specialization thing, right? Like, food is what I specialize in, but everybody has their different things that they specialize in. I won't say unless Mike wants to, but I know some of the things that he does with his family and specializes in. He doesn't cook either. Uh, yeah, I don't either. I bake. I don't cook. I think that food is very popular right now because we live in a world that the closer and closer we get um, physically and uh, through a communication mechanism, right, with the internet and things like that, I think the farther and farther we feel apart from each other. Mm -hmm. But food is universal, right? Everybody eats. It's something that you have to do to live, and it's also something that most people enjoy. So it's a very easy one to kind of go to. Sure. Right. And it's, it's one of the reasons that, you know, I've got a big affinity towards Disney for obvious reasons, me working there and all that stuff. But one of the reasons I love going to Epcot during the fall is because of the Food and Wine Festival. And I can remember, just like you said, taking my, taking my kids there and us trying different things at $35 a pop, right? I mean, you know, that type of stuff. But, you know, my, I'm seeing my daughter's face when she tried the spicy brown mustard on the, uh, uh, the pretzel dog, you know, in, in Germany and doing all that stuff. I mean, it, it is, you're right. It's, it's very vivid, um, type, type stuff that I'll, I'll probably always remember. Yeah. Al Alton Brown is like the food geek. He's, he's food geek oh. in my, in my mind. Uh, he, he asked this really good question when he sits down with people like this. He says, what is the most important ingredient in your kitchen? I pose this to you guys. Cholula hot sauce. <laughs> that's that. That's it. Makes Cuban food taste good. That's. <laughs> I'm not gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna answer this by the thing that's consumed most in the house, and I'd say that's cheese. Wow. Um, for us, it's probably pasta. We, we do a lot of pasta, a lot of different types of pasta. So it's it's a bit of a trick question. Elton Brown says it's the table. Okay. Right? It's not about what you're putting on it, it's the fact that you are putting it down and you're getting together and you're sharing the pasta and the cheese and the chili hot sauce. He's, and if you put them all together, that actually would make it taste Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's, he's wrong, it's love. It's, it's, it's supposed to be love. Bam. That's the best ingredients in our meals. Well, it's, it's interesting you bring that up. There's about being around the table, right? And the whole idea of memories, whether it's at Epcot or, or at the house watching TV. Um, we sit around, the, my wife is a, a part-time teacher. Right? She teaches mathematics. Uh, my son is nine years old, and we talk about science and math at the table, right? Yeah. Um, and it's really odd because there's, I think it was Randy Pausch that made a comment. There are, there are two different types of people, right? People that require a dictionary at dinner and people who don't, right? And it's just whether or not you're having a conversation, whatever it's about, whether it's about politics or food or, uh, or religion or mathematics, right? 
are you having those conversations at dinner? Are you talking about things? Or is everybody turned around glued to the TV? Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of times we get so many memories out of just the conversations mm-hmm. that we're having. Sure. Um, and I know my son remembers them because like two weeks, a month later, he'll bring a conversation that we had at dinner one night back up again. So it's very cool. Yeah, so we merged the math and science and food and TV all together, and we just watched Mythbusters. So. <laughs> Problem solved. Yeah, there you go. So, so since Nick kind of brought it up, so what are some of the things that you do with your family that you might, you know, if you don't mind, you know, talking about, um, again, to like yeah. kind of keep your passion going and, you know, fun things that you can, you guys do that, you know, non-technology related. So, well, it's, it's hard to separate from the technology in my family okay. uh, because, my, again, my wife's a math teacher. My son wants to be an engineer uh, of some kind, right? Sure. Actually, he wants to be an inventor. If you ask him what he wants to be, he wants to be an inventor. Uh, so we do a lot of things that are analytical in nature, whether it's he's got some Lego Mindstorms, so he wants to build a robot. Oh, I still um, need some of those. They, they are very cool. Oh. Um, he has a lot of ideas and plans that he wants to work out, and he'll ask us about them, right? We have been playing a lot of board games. Um, Ooh, do tell. Yes. I'm a board gamer myself. Uh, it's my When I got married, my wife said, I hate board games. Oh. And I was like, oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> Should have figured that out. Sure, not, fine. Not, not <laughs> um, but then I found out later she hates Monopoly. Yeah. Right? She hates games. That she hates a roll and move. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and so we have we now have tons of games at the house that we play, but... I feel like that teaches him strategy, mm-hmm. and, and he has certainly learned it well enough to beat me at multiple games. Uh, so, But we play a lot of games. Uh, we do some uh, projects like his robots and stuff, uh, and then we try to figure out places to go. Uh, he really enjoys the aquarium. We like to go to the museum center. Um, there's just setting aside time for the family and then trying to work out what we're going to do to learn New things, try new things. Yes. As I said, it sounds like basically everything that you're talking about, the center point is education. Yeah. Well, yeah. there is a large portion of that. Again, my wife's a teacher, uh, and I'm a complete believer in uh, continuous education. As you're just a perpetual student. Yeah. You're always learning something. Yep. Yeah. So I mean, you mentioned homeschooling. We homeschool in our our household. Is just like it's the school day doesn't start at nine and end at three. It starts when they wake up and it ends when they go to sleep. And essentially, it's it's they're learning constantly. How many times have you taught your daughters how to cut the grass for you? Uh, well, speaking of Hispanic people, uh, <laughs> 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 um, you mentioned board games, right? So, what's the games that usually hit the table, right? Because this is I, this is obviously a, a topic that I enjoy a lot. We play a lot of stuff, but what's what type of games usually are hitting the table for for in your household? Uh. I guess games that are have some strategy. Uh, my family really likes cooperative games, Ooh. so Pandemic, uh, Castle Panic, um, those kinds of things. We have a few of them. We don't have too many. Right. Uh, there's a what is it? It's a firefighter game. Flashpoint. Flashpoint. Yeah, yep. that's good. Um, and then we kind of steer away from the games where you're really screwing over the other person. <laughs> like like the whole point is just to mess mess up their moves. Uh, we still steer away from those. But here recently. Uh, it's been Pompeii, mm-hmm. um, Castle Panic, Pandemic are all big ones. Uh, Quarriers. We used to play uh, Ticket to Ride quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, but 
here really recently, I went to CodeMash conference up in uh, Sandusky, Ohio, and somebody there, they have a big game room every night. Oh. Yeah, it's, it's awesome. So actually the game room is there all day, so you can even pop in yeah. during the day, but not as many people do. But at night, it gets pretty good, and Mayfair Games actually comes up and has sets of games. Awesome. Shows you how to play mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. Uh, but one of the people there brought X-Wing Miniatures. I love X-Wing Miniatures. So it's just expensive it <laughs> to get into it. It is. And I, I bought a base pack, and then uh, I played it with my son, and he loved it. Yeah. Right, just the, how everything worked. Yeah. And, and The flight um, mechanism and yes. movement. And and so, yeah, I've already bought three or four of the expansions, and I knew that I hit a hit when he told me. He's like, Dad, I'm going to save up my allowance. Yeah. To buy one of the expansions, he's never bought a game. He's he's had us buy games, right? Exactly. <laughs> he's like, that looks good. Let's play that. Yeah. Um, but he's never like saved up for something that we were all going to play together. Yeah. So maybe you should buy the second base because then you get two X two Tie Fighters and yes. an additional X Wing, and then you have all the additional dice and stuff like that, so you're not grabbing it and all that stuff. So that's what we did. We bought the two base, and that seemed to be enough for my nine year old and myself, right? I mean. We we could have a fairly amount good game, you know, yeah. two uh, X wings and four Tie Fighters, and it seems to be enough for us right now. I, I'd love to get into it. So if you guys don't know the X wing miniature games, they're ultra detailed uh, miniatures of Star Wars fighters, right? So you've got X wings, you've got Tie Fighters, Tie Bombers, Tie Interceptors. You have A wings and Y wings and B wings, and you have uh, up to a hundred points. I guess a standard game would be up to a hundred points. And you could add um, bombs and missiles and torpedoes and all these other weaponry, and they all have a, a cost associated with it. And then you could add pilots, and different pilot skills let you go earlier and shoot first or move later and do all this stuff. So you have all this strategy that's involved. And then you have this movement mechanism where you can you have these dials, and you say, oh, I want to move straight to. And then you break out the two template, and you move that uh, ship that, that much. Or you want to bank four, and you can move it that much. And it's just... It's very visual when you're out on the table and this thing comes out and you're just like, whoa, this is like an actual thing going on right now in front of me in miniature form. A lot of fun. It, it takes a little bit to get into it. There's a lot of great YouTube videos out there if you want to get started on that. But um, it is tons of fun. It, and you could essentially play John Williams in the background while you're doing it. <laughs> and it's just like, wow, I'm actually, you know, leading all these these TIE fighters and all and these uh, against the X-Wings and all this stuff. It's it's very thematic. It's one of the more thematic games that I've played that is just immersive and puts you like right in the driver's seat. So I don't know if it's true or not, but the people who made that game, I, I was told that there was rumors that they came out with a game of very, very similar rules, but it was like World War II fights. That's and, true. And it did not go over as well. Nope. And then they re-released it with a little bit of change of the rules, yep. but as Star Wars, and it just... It, and, it, and it blew up. Yeah, and they've got a Dragon Dungeon & Dragons set as well that they just um, released for that too. So um, it it's it, it the system works, yeah. right? But you just now you get the right theme on top of it, and it all of a sudden it just blows up. We I've been concentrating on having more things that our family does together, mm-hmm. right? Um, I think I was sitting in the back of the room earlier today when you were interviewing someone else, and he was talking about time, right, and making time for things, um, and how much TV that people watch. And we we have a set amount that our son is allowed to watch, a screen time a day, whether that's in front of a computer or on a video game or a TV. 
And then we want the rest of the time to be either engaging in, in fun, you know, or like he can go off and play on his own or read on his own or playing with us. Right. And having a lot more interactions. And I, again, like you said, trying to, the, I figure the more he interacts with us, hopefully the more he learns from us. Yeah. So, at least now while he's nine and he thinks we're cool. <laughs> yeah, and, and well, um, my daughter's nine too. And one of the things we did is that we integrated her homeschooling with some of the game playing. So um, they've uh, WizKids has a new game called Marvel Dice Masters, and they they come in a, a pack, and the pack's a dollar. And with that, uh, in that pack, you get two dice and two cards. And very cheap. I bought a I think a box of ninety for like forty five bucks. And if she finishes all her schoolwork on time, and there's a set time she needs to get done, all her schoolwork done then she gets a pack. And we've been slowly burning that through the last couple of months. And it's really worked out because she wants to get done on time. So she wants to open up the next pack to see what characters that she gets. And so, and then we would, and then we've got more stuff to play with as opposed to just, Hey, I just got eight characters in the base game. Yeah. Now we could go off and, and Hey, look, there's Scarlet Witch and here's Cyclops and Bishop and, and all these uh, other characters, some that she knows and some that she doesn't. But she's, you know, she's like, I really want Jean Grey. And it's like, I want, I want, I want Phoenix. Give me Phoenix, you know. So she's been trying to find all of those in, in there. But it, it's one of those things, hey, you, you do this and you get rewarded for it. And then we could actually, you know, have some fun along while you're getting your stuff on time. Because that was really rough for us. She was just not doing all that stuff. I was just thinking that, you know, Mike mentioned, oh, it's kind of all, all of his things revolve around technology in some way or another. But I mean, I guess that's kind of true of everything, right? Because, the definition of technology is so. The barrier to entry for the definition of technology is so low. Yeah. Pencil is technology, right? Um, it's magic. But it, it it is funny how technology is changing these things, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, nine years ago, if you had a nine-year-old then, she wouldn't know who all these characters from X-Men are because she couldn't read that many comic books, right? Yeah. But now they're in the movies, they're on Netflix, they're on her TV and her TiVo and all of these things. I know for me. With cooking, um, I use an instrument that used to be used for carrying organs around to cook food with. You know, like oh, technology is moving from all of these different places and crossing over into our our lives. Is explain to me the organ cooking device. So um, the technique is. Is this the flight He's not joking about this. <laughs> this is not the, the point here. Um, this is a device that enables a cooking technique um, that is named in French as sous vide, which means under vacuum in French. Um, but basically, you use a uh, a vessel filled with water and a ver- this is the the medical device, though what had origins in the medical world, a very specific. Um, uh, device that circulates the water, it's got a pump in it, and it heats the water very, very accurately. So within the tenth of a degree Fahrenheit. Which means that I then uh, vacuum seal. Oh, this is what you need, Cecil. This is gonna this is gonna change your life. Tell him, please. He's gonna spend some money and you'll make perfect steak. <laughs> so I vacuum seal up the steak. Uh-huh. Uh, you don't really have to vacuum seal it, but if you want to cook on Sunday and eat on Thursday, you should. You vacuum seal up the steak with a little bit of marinade or some herbs or yep. aromatics. Do I scare you if I say aromatics? No, I, I, no I, I'm still with you. Master Chef, you're tracking. Right. <laughs> uh, and then you put the steak into this water. It's covered in the bag, right? So it's not getting wet. Into this water. But the water is held at a perfect temperature. 
So if you think about traditional cooking before we had this technology, uh, you, you would maybe light up the grill. You'd heat up the grill to 500 degrees. If you cooked that steak to 500 degrees, you'd have ash. Right? It's not what you want to eat. So right. you're playing a timing game where I'm going to expose this piece of meat to heat hotter than I want the meat to be cooked at, but I will pull it off uh, at right about the right timing so I get a piece of meat that is, let's say you like your meat at 138 degrees Fahrenheit. Right? So you're playing a timing game. You go under, it's ruined. You go over, it's ruined. And so it comes a lot about understanding the timing and the thickness and the fiber of the meat. Well, with this tool, I can stick it in water that is precisely 138 degrees and never changes, and I can leave it in there literally all day long, 24 hours. Really? And when I pull it out, the whole thing is 138. I will be medium rare from edge to edge. It actually looks weird. It looks like there's something wrong with the meat, because you've never seen a steak that's medium rare edge to edge, because when you cook it on the grill, it's yeah. super well done on the outside, a little well done, and maybe medium rare in the middle. And that's what you're ordering, uh, usually. So, yeah, that's, that's this... Uh, very cool. The, the, the I've never, that's pretty cool. I've never heard about right. it. So, so, so it's called an immersion circulator. Is the device that enables me to do sous vide. Is it is it illegal like the barbecue masters competitions? And you should like go in there with this thing and like perfect boom, I win it all. So it's interesting that you said that. Uh, at barbecue masters, they are not grilling food. They are smoking, smoking food. Yeah. Um, I don't know the rules of Barbecue Masters, but they would not ever want to do this anyway. <laughs> so, <laughs> because they need to be awake for 16 hours and, you know, is, is, is there enough wood in there? Oh, I, I don't know. What should I do? Uh, uh, it's all very dramatic on TV. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, and, and it comes down to the same same science, right? They The reason why they care about the wood and where it's at and whatnot is because they want that meat to never be exposed to temperatures too high or too low. Right. Otherwise, it's going to go over or under. So they want just enough heat to get the, the amount of smoke that they're looking for, and that's it. And they want that to be consistent. So, you know, uh, Richard Campbell runs in the .NET community. He's huge in barbecue, right? He'll tell you all about the special ways that he regulates airflow and temperature and all the sensors that he has built into his barbecue. Right, and those spreadsheets that he tracks. Oh my gosh, this brisket. That's you know, if I go, awesome. if I go over here to worksheet number five, I can tell. <laughs> Sorry, Richard, if you hear this ever. <laughs> that that this, was a bad Canadian oppression. Don't you know? the, the secrets have been revealed. Yeah. <laughs> Excel, Excel is the secret to great barbecue. We well, found it. Have you noticed that in technology, no matter what we get into, right? Technology developers, we love data. Yeah. Right? Yep. I mean, it's that's why I, I carry a Fitbit. Not because I should, well, because I should be losing weight and, and being more healthy, but also because it provides me data. And it's amazing how much, like, you're talking about a spreadsheet on uh, cooking, but if you talk to people and they have a hobby that's not coding, I'll bet you they're also gathering data in some way. Because it, it seems to be the big thing, and I don't know if it's the gamification of it, mm -hmm. or if it's just we're, as a, as a, a group, stereotyping here, but as a group interested in data, what can I prove, use to prove that I'm getting better or doing this well? Metrics. Yeah. And I think for a lot of people, naturally, a lot of people are just curious. People, you know, tech, you know, developer, you can be artist, whatever you are, like you're curious. You, you want to know what's going on. You want to, you want information, right? Like you want to know about things and what are they doing? Like, you know, so imagine like we're going down the highway and there's an accident on the road and all of a sudden everybody's stopping to see what's going on because I want to know what's going on over there, right? Like I need to know what's going on. Traffic is not going at like two miles an hour because everybody wants to stop and stare and see what exactly is happening. Um, 
I mean, it's not, you know, it doesn't correlate exactly, but if people, people want information. You know, um, I think us being um, more technical people, like, we want even more information, right? Like, we want the metrics. Like, I want to know how many steps did I take today? You know, I mean, um, how many flights of stairs did I go on? You know, I mean, how many people came to my talk today? Like, you know, um, how many people did I have I that number for you, by the way? And I have that number for you, and I have that but but we, we 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 generally like to have information. And, you know, yeah. sometimes we do stuff with it, sometimes we don't. But we, you know, there's like there's there's some inert need for data. Like I want it, I want to know about it. You know what I mean? I want to know maybe I'll maybe I'll do something. Maybe I'll build something cool, or maybe I'll just be like, hey, just for for facts, right? For fact checking. Hey, this is what happened. That this is what it takes, and this is how it works. Yeah, because of our profession, we have a way to process said data. But yeah, I think what you're saying, people outside of our community. I mean, I know my wife, who is a school teacher, is not. She has a little step counter installed on her phone yeah. uh, because I try to compete with her, and I'm like, I tell her every day, I need you to open it, so it tells me if I'm winning or not. But she couldn't care less. She's like, oh, I'm tired, so I know I walked enough. <laughs> she you gotta give she me some more incentive. Yeah. Yeah, 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 apparently. Yeah, she she beat you by the way. Yeah. Not today she didn't. My legs are sore. I beat her. <laughs> you gotta tell the see like if you beat me today, you'll me? you'll take it to Europe. Oh. oh I was thinking like you'd have a pizza. <laughs> <laughs> but you can't get good pizza in New York. Uh, you gotta go to Chicago yeah. for that. You know what? Of all of the New York Chicago food wars, I actually side on Chicago and almost all of them. I love deep dish pizza. Yeah. Chicago Wonder cheese. Michael Wood. <laughs> <laughs> Chicago cheesesteak, uh, uh, cheesesteak. Cheesecake, cake. I think is better. Yeah. Uh, I like, uh, you know what, I think I go with the New York dog over Chicago. Really? Yeah. No, I like the salad on my dogs. <laughs> no, no uh, I, I do like a Chicago dog. I like them both. But if I was stuck with one forever and now is it, I think I'd go. You, you know what puts me over the top? It's the celery salt. The celery, celery salt, salt yeah. on top of the dog, that's what wins it for me. Chicago dog wins. I think the all beef kosherness of the New York dog and not being mystery meat makes it win for me. Well, I, well, what if we just had that New York dog over in Chicago? You know what? And now we just now now we've created a Cleveland dog. Oh, <laughs> this is what we need to do. Um, we're gonna revisit this podcast in six months, and you are gonna travel the U.S. and buy dogs from all these places, and we'll all taste them, and we'll give tasting notes on regional hot dog varieties in the United States. Sounds like a perfect fit for the ship. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, sponsored by Redgate. <laughs> they don't have British dogs. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that's a thing. No, they, call that, uh, they, they, they do have sausage rolls, though, which is uh, fancy corn dog. <laughs> it's a piece of sausage wrapped up in dough that's been cooked. That's not corn dog. That's, that's close to it. So, so, so in, in, the, in the battle between French cuisine and British cuisine, <laughs> this is a this is a an audio mechanism. We cannot see your face. If there was, I, I will I will explain my face. If there was literature about British cuisine, it would be a pamphlet that says, "Please try to." <laughs> uh, I know anybody who's British who's listening would tell me that I'm completely wrong, and I am. There is some charm, right? Sticky toffee pudding is amazing. Uh, but yeah, it's I, I find British food to be very bland, and when I go visit uh, the people that I work with in Cambridge, England, it is very difficult for me to get past 
things that they call hamburgers, and you know, I can only eat so much uh, shepherd's pie. Yeah. I'm done. <laughs> yeah, but at Epcot Center, it tastes so much better. I don't remember England in Epcot Center. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, UK, man. There's, Absolutely. There's UK. Matter of fact, that's my wife, when we go there, she has to go eat. Um, at the Rose and Crown. Uh, yeah, but when she goes to the one outside, it's like the little faster one. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So she's just getting fish and chips. Okay. She loves fish yeah. and chips. Oh, okay, so this is the thing about fish and chips. There's a British guy in New York City in Greenwich Village who has a place called the Salt and Battery. And those fish and chips are amazing. And I've been to probably a dozen different fish and chip places in London, South England, Cambridge. None of them come close. The fish and chips, that's another good British yeah, one. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. Agreed. Awesome. So... Can we get two points from you for things that people can do to follow their passion? Because it sounds like we've been talking a lot about passions today. We're talking about a lot about things that we can do to, you know, keep going and keep motivated and keep going forward. So, so what would be some things that you guys would, like, let's say, like, two points you recommend for people to, you know, start exploring your passions and, you know, finding, you know, finding where that spark is? So two points. I, I think the first one is I'll borrow kind of what I said earlier, just if it's building, if it's software, or if it's games, or if it's food, just, just do it, right? Like, you can have analysis paralysis thinking about what is the best way you're going to do it, and what is my AOI going to be, and, you know, am I going to be able to turn this into a career? If it's your passion, just do it. It doesn't matter. If it makes you happy, it makes you happy. Um, and so do that. Um, and you asked for two. Which so you, so you just happen. regurgitated every Nike commercial I've ever heard. So. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Advertising. Uh, you know, yeah, I know, right? Actually, I have taken 23 game-winning shots and missed. <laughs> <laughs> the failures that make me who I am. False. You've never played basketball a day in your life. <laughs> if so, let's go right now. We'll go to the Nova Court. I'll play in jeans, and let's see. I want to see Nick Molnar on the court. Well, you don't want to see me sweating. <laughs> <laughs> I never said basketball. He may have been, like, wadding paper. Yeah, that's off, right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Uh, so that's uh, one thing that I would say. And I would say that the other one is to look outside of your uh, passion or whatever that region of interest is for inspiration beyond that. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I like to cook, but I will very frequently go to a concert and hear a song and think to myself, hmm, like that song evoked this feeling for me. And I, I want to recreate that in food. Um, I also actually get inspired a lot by history, and right? so I will hear about, um, you know, the way that something was cooked or the meal that was served for some king the night before he was assassinated or whatever. And I'm like, man, that's that's really interesting that that was chosen by the person who was about to poison him, right? And yeah. maybe I'll recreate that or might or, poison. Might, well, <laughs> you're still coming over for dinner. Wait, tonight, yeah. You know, but just those things just make me feel like I would have never thought of making. I, I made a sausage roll after we went to England for the first time, and I went to Borough Market, and I came home, and I'm like, I'm gonna make a sausage roll, and it came out horribly. But you know, and that it connected me back with that experience that I had a good time walking around the market. Yeah, circling back to Alton Brown, I, I the Dutch oven episode where he talks about. Is this the thing that you do with your wife in the blanket at night? Yeah, no, <laughs> <laughs> we don't have blankets in Miami. What are you talking about? <laughs> Some mosquito net? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a it, no. It's actually a big roll cage where pythons can't get in. Oh, perfect. so yeah. 
So he goes into, hey, this is how they did it in the Civil War. And he talked about all the, how they cooked and how they had different layers. And they would cook that essentially all day and cornbread on top and all this other stuff. And I'm like, wow, that's fascinating. I want to eat that right now, you know? Yeah, there's a cool restaurant in Chicago that I'd really like to go to. Um, the name of it is escaping me right now. But they basically redo the entire menu every three months. And every three months, they choose, they're basically like Marty McFly. Like, they, they, they crank a couple of dials and they pick a date and time and a location. Wow. So they've done 1490s French food. And everything they cook, they only use techniques that you would find in the 1490s, ingredients that you would find in the region that they were in. And they did, you know, uh, 2300 Hong Kong and what they imagined the future of Hong Kong cooking to be. So you show up and you don't get to order. You're yeah. just gonna get the food that they serve you. It's yeah. one of these fancy foodie places, right? Um, but that kind of stuff is awesome. Yeah, yeah it is. Cause I mean, it must be like a marketing genius because every three months you've got something else you can market. You know, I mean, yeah. packed lines and everything. So I, I guess I would say uh, the first thing would be once you you know pick out this is what I want to be involved in um, and this is what I want to learn about. Set goals, um, and they don't have to be really deep or official kind of things, but Think about where, what, what do I want to learn about this, or what do I want to improve? Do I want to learn how to cook steak better, or what are better, better ways to cook steak, or what board games do I want to research, or whatnot? Yeah. Uh, and just set some goals, because otherwise it will get lost. If you're not, if you don't have a problem uh, have finding time for your passions, then this probably isn't as big of a deal. But if you do find that you're constantly like, well, I never have time to actually do what I want to do, then setting goals is going to help you get there. Um, and when you set that goal, always tell somebody about it so that you're accountable, right? Tell them, hey, I want to do this, uh, especially somebody you trust. I tell my wife things like this is this is where I want uh, I want to work on. Sometimes she goes like, yeah, I understand what that is. And sometimes a technology uh, and it's some deep thing that I want to learn about. And she's like, all right, I'll just ask you how it's going. Yeah. yeah. You know, and that's perfectly fine because all she's really doing is holding me accountable. Um, and then the second thing I would I would say is just share your passion with other people. The more that you engage other people, whether you're out at code camps like this because you're engaged about some really cool technology you want to share, uh, or you just get psyched up on X-Wave, right, and you want to share that. Find people that are interested and play it and people that share your, your passion because that's what community is all about, whether it's technical or not, and you will improve your own skills and your own knowledge that way, and you, if you're enjoying it, then you're, you're going to really get a lot out of that. Do you have time for me to add a bonus tip? Sure, what I should have said. Not for you. Uh, Mike Cecil, has a bonus Cecil tip. Cecil said yes, and Cecil's in charge. <laughs> <laughs> Don't be afraid to fail. Think to yourself, if this endeavor failed, whatever that thing is, making a steak for your family, creating an open source side project, doing a presentation, what is the worst that can happen? So for me, when I started Glimpse, the worst thing that could happen is I was going to waste three Saturday nights hanging out with a buddy of mine. That was worst case scenario for Glimpse. And if I really think about it from that perspective, it makes it makes me think, oh, of course I'll do that. That's not bad at all, right? Usually the worst case scenario is... Uh, not that bad, right? And, and anything is possible, right? Uh, they say that nothing is impossible, but I do nothing all the time. So, <laughs> yeah, so don't be afraid to go. Can, can we turn the tables? I feel like we're getting to the end. I want to ask you guys some questions. Just well, one. Well, you could ask. I'm just going to cut it out. All right, sure. <laughs> let's, let's, let's do it. Let's go. Okay. Of the two of you, 
Who's Batman and who's Robin? Is it Batman and Robin? See, we got Justice League coming down, right? So it could be Superman, Batman. But I'm more of a Marvel guy. I didn't say who's cool and who's a nerd. I said yeah. who's Batman and who's Robin. <laughs> I'm, I'm saying there is. I don't think there is a Robin. Is there a Robin? There's no Robin. There's two Batmans. I don't think there's Robin. Well, no. there's a, there's been a lot more than two. So you guys share the suit. How <laughs> no. does this work? No, there's no, there's no sharing. <laughs> <laughs> Is, is it the the one with bat nipples or not bat nipples? <laughs> and uh, and cut. <laughs> Have a wonderful rest of your day. Enjoy your lunch. I don't know. There's 50 cent wings today somewhere. <laughs> we want to thank Nick Molnar and Mike Wood for coming on the show and having a fantastic conversation with us. If you enjoyed this episode, leave a comment on the website at awayfromthekeyboard.com. Or on Twitter at AFTK Podcast. You can subscribe to the show via the website or on iTunes. And while you're on iTunes, you can comment and rate us. And if you really want to know what makes us tick, sign up to our newsletter where we'll give you behind the scenes access to Away from the Keyboard. Next week on Away from the Keyboard, we'll have a conversation with Microsoft MVP and web guru Shane Boyer, where we'll chat about staying focused and Kicking people in the head. Kicking people in the head. You're not going to want to miss this one. Right. See you next week. We want to thank you for listening to Away From The Keyboard. As a reminder, we will have new episodes each and every week. You can interact with us on Twitter at AFTK Podcast or at awayfromthekeyboard.com. Hasta luego. Welcome to Away From The Keyboard, where technologists tell their stories of how they started, how they grew, how they learned, and how they unwind. My name's Richie Rump, and with me I have my co-host, Cecil Phillip. Oh, we're recording right now? Yes. Oh. <laughs> now that should be a clip. That's funny. Yeah. <laughs> All right, I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll stop playing. Let's go. I'm serious now. Yeah. All right.